Hi, and welcome back to The Horn, a podcast from the International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. Today, my colleague Omar Mahmoud is joining us once again. Omar is Crisis Group's Somalia expert, and he's here to speak more with us about the implications of the possible port deal between Ethiopia and Somaliland and its wider effects on Somalia and the region. Omar, thanks so much for, for coming on the podcast again. Oh, happy to be here, Alan. So 2024 started off with a bang for you, I'm sure, uh, with this MOU that was signed between Ethiopia and Somaliland. There are many competing stories about the MOU, what's in the MOU. What's the latest you've heard from the Somaliland side about what is and isn't in the deal? So on the Somaliland side, I mean, honestly, they've been quite simple. They, they say this is a naval-based deal in return for Ethiopia's recognition of Somaliland. I mean, I think we all know, you know, Somaliland has kind of been operating uh, more or less independently for 30 years since it declared its its independence from Somalia, but no one's recognized it. And, and so it's always been hamstrung in that way. Somaliland President Musabihi basically came out with this in an interview just last week and, and said, you know, that that was the case. Part of the, the, the issue here is is there, there's a lack of transparency over the MOU itself. No one's really seen a copy. It's, it's been held in very close circles. And then also, you know, this is, MOU is in some ways kind of a declaration of intent. You know, my understanding was then there's going to be sort of technical committees that from, from both sides that would then kind of sort through some of, some of the details. I think there's two key points maybe to dive into a little bit deeper about about some of the lack of clarity. And, and so one is, if this is a, a naval base that Ethiopia's will be having on, on the Somaliland side, you know, where's the location of this? There's been two spots in Somaliland that have been mooted here. You know, one is Lukaya and the other is Bulahar. And this has implications for, for Somaliland domestic politics. I mean, Lugaya is in, in Adal region, a region where the communities are not from the Isak, which, which is the dominant clan in Somaliland, and have always had a little bit of, of marginalization grievances around that. And Bulohar, on, on the other hand, is in Sahel region. It's in Isak heartland. It's actually Musabihi's subclan area. And so there's a bit of confusion here because Ethiopia came out and, and very quickly said Lukaya. I mean, there's probably, you know, some some historic interest in, in, in that area. But some Somaliland officials have, have priorly been saying Bulahar as well, which is also closer to to the port of, of Berbera. Um, so so that location confusion, I, I think, is, is, is a key issue and has ramifications domestically. But secondly, I think this brings us to the other point. You know, what does all of this mean for Berbera? We're all aware that there's been a big investment from DP World in that port ongoing for the last five, seven years or so. And Somaliland, again, is insisting that Ethiopia's imports and exports through Somaliland will still be going through this port, that there, there's no other commercial access, there's no other uh, port that will be developed for Ethiopia on, on, on Somaliland. Uh, again, we, we see a little bit of a different messaging coming from the Ethiopia side, which, which mentioned in this, you know, 20 kilometer stretch that they would have some commercial access in that area. So so it's another point of, of confusion. And so, you know, I, I think while we have at its core what what this deal might be, a lot of the details are, are up in the air and, and 
this probably reflects a, a disconnect from Addison and Hargesa around around some of these aspects. Mm. I think it, it also raises questions about what exactly is in the MOU, because some of these are, are pretty basic details. Uh, what is your understanding about what's moving forward in terms of technical discussions at the moment? I haven't really seen too much on that. There's been, you know, some follow-up visits from the Ethiopia side or also some some attempts to follow-up visits that, that Somalia kind of blocked through airspace, you know, their, their control of, of the airspace, which I'm sure we'll get into. But there hasn't been a, a ton, you know, of a follow-up. And, you know, part of the reason for that could be, you know, this has elicited such a strong backlash. And, and so I think, you know, some of that's put maybe a, a little bit of a, a break on things. I think Somaliland officials are trying to push forward, trying to um, implement as much as they can, you know, because of the worry that things might get walked back. But yeah, in terms of actual resolution of some of these some of these dynamics in terms of, you know, the technical committees kind of getting their work going, you know, haven't seen a ton of that. Hmm. If we can just unpack the Somaliland thinking a bit more, in some ways, I imagine it's fairly straightforward, as you said, uh, they must have seen an opportunity with Abi's grand pronouncement that Ethiopia was uh, in the market for sea access, um, and Hargeisa, in some ways, must have pounced on that. Um, but but how much more do you think there is to the story uh, beyond that? Well, I think we need to look at the domestic situation in Somaliland as well. Over the past uh, couple years, I do think President Musabihi in Somaliland has been under some serious pressure. You know, there's been this long-standing electoral dispute, which has widened tensions within the the Isa clan and basically delayed those elections two years. You know, they're supposed to happen in, in November of 2024 now. But the other one, which has been quite prominent, is over the last year, this basically emergence of uh, SSCK, or Sulsanag Ain Khatumo, in the Sul region, which borders where, where Punland is. And, and so this emerged from, from a community, the Dulbahante, that have always had some misgivings about being under Somaliland control, and, and it was really started as, as a protest movement that Somaliland tried to suppress and, and completely mishandled. And, and so morphed into an outright rebellion to the point where, you know, last August, the militia, which, which has, you know, support from, from other Dulbahantes and, and other, other, other clans related to the Dulbahante, was able to push Somaliland out of Seoul region. And, and so I think that was hugely important because... You know, we, we have to look at Somaliland's recognition argument has always been based on the fact that they fulfill the colonial boundaries of what the, the old, you know, British Somaliland colony was. You know, they've always linked their recognition to this aspect. And so if they were pushed out of most of Seoul region, especially where the Dulbahante are, it means, you know, that's a huge challenge to that to that argument because they're no longer fulfilling those those colonial boundaries. And, and so I think that's been a huge issue within within Somaliland. And so the MOU, in, in some ways, I think gives Musabihi a lifeline. You know, instead of being the leader who oversaw kind of the disintegration of, of Somaliland or, or saw the loss of some Somaliland territory and a serious challenge to Somaliland's independence claim, he could now be the leader to say, look, I'm the first one to actually get recognition from, from an outside country. Of, of Somaliland. So he can shift the narrative around that. You know, the other factor I would mention here is, is the MOU also came out just after 
some talks in Djibouti between President Bihi and also President Hassan Sheikh of, of Somalia. And, and so these were attempts, you know, to revive the Somalia-Somaliland discussions. Those have been, you know, many attempts to do that in the past, but but it's always been tough going. And, you know, I think the, these talks also didn't result in, in too much. So, so I think the MOU is also a signal then to Mogadishu, to Somalia, that they do have leverage in, in this sense, you know, going going forward. So, so I think it's helped, um, you know, or played into domestic politics uh, for a number of reasons. So, um, you know, Mogadishu, many Somalis, uh, many Somali nationalists are, of course, irate about this deal on many levels. Uh, talk us through the reaction thus far from Mogadishu and how, how, how Somalia has, you know, decided to respond to this. Yeah, I mean, Mogadishu is, is very upset. You know, I think they were caught off guard, like probably the entire region. Hassan Sheikh was just meeting with Musa Bihi days before. So I'm sure that doesn't help. They, they view it as a violation of, of their sovereignty and territorial integrity. And that's been their argument to the international community as well. It's also unleashed a very strong nationalistic sentiment in, in the Somali discourse. You know, Al-Shabaab's also been a part of this and, and, and the federal government even. Sometimes, you know, they're on, you know, kind of their messages are, are very similar about sort of an anti-Ethiopian narrative. These are dynamics that I think have always been present within kind of Somali-Ethiopia relations. There's always been this level of, of a grievance and, and mistrust that goes back, you know, honestly, honestly, centuries. Narratives that kind of paint Ethiopia as sort of an expanding empire trying to to occupy Somali land and you know many, many wars have been fought in the history around this and and so this you know MOU I think sets that off even even stronger you know I think the the agreement probably would have been a problem for Mogadishu no matter what but the fact that it's Ethiopia probably makes it even more so and you know you throw in the idea that Ethiopia you know could potentially recognize Somali land and and that's viewed as you know still a ploy to divide Somalis and part of this historical dynamic so I think that's hugely problematic for for Somalia. The other part that's that's probably very problematic is the security aspect of, of this deal. You know, you already have this kind of distrust or suspicion of Ethiopia, but a longstanding military presence, I think, on, on Somali soil is, is, is another red line. You know, you already see people asking, okay, let's say this is a 50-year lease. What happens after 50 years? Does the Ethiopian Navy just pack up, pack up and leave? Uh, but they, you know, kind of more view this as a slippery slope to something permanent. And then that's why you see a lot of Somalis in the Somali discourse talking about annexation of, of Somali territory. And, and so it's not very clear, you know, also Ethiopia's intentions around this and, and why they need a naval access. I think, you know, Somalis feel like that hasn't been, been properly, properly explained, which is separate. You know, if, if this was sort of a commercial deal, I, I think maybe there's more room to maneuver. I think Somalia has said this quite clearly, and, and most Somalis will, will probably agree, regardless of the, how they feel about Ethiopia, that, you know, commercial access is, is not a problem. You know, it, it kind of makes sense. You have a very long coast here in, in Somalia, and then the world's most populous landlocked country right next to it. So, you know, it, it just kind of makes sense for both of those to, to find a way to interlink with each other. And, you know, most of the port developments that are going on in, in Somalia, you know, have this component of, of a corridor project or a future corridor project into Ethiopia to connect to that market. And, and so I think the commercial side would, would not be a deal, would, sorry, would not be an issue. But it is, you know, the, the security aspect also sets Mogadishu off. All of this places Mogadishu, of course, in a rather uh, difficult and in some ways awkward spot. It is definitely the weaker of the two partners when it comes to, to military strength and Somalia's 
still reliant in some ways on Ethiopia for some of its fight against al-Shabaab. How has Mogadishu gone about responding to this and, and trying to put pressure on Ethiopia? Because that's not a straightforward, uh, that's not a straightforward thing. Yeah, so thus far, you know, Somalia's response has been, you know, publicly quite, quite strong, very, very strong rhetoric, you know, about the, about the deal and about, you know, Ethiopia's intentions. But their actions have been within the diplomatic space. And, you know, there's probably a couple couple reasons for this, you know, publicly strong rhetoric to kind of keep pace with that nationalistic sentiment to show that the government is is taking this head on and almost outflank, you know, some of their opponents in this way, whether that's political opposition or even, you know, Al-Shabaab that's been trying to message around this and take take advantage. But actions within the diplomatic realm, basically because, yes, I think Somalia realizes they are in a bit of a vulnerable spot, especially given the security cooperation with Ethiopia. And, and so what they've tried to do is mobilize as much support as possible amongst bilateral allies. You know, Hassan Sheikh's traveled to, to a number of countries, number of meetings, and I think they've had a, a pretty strong degree of success with, with that. But then also take this to international forums in which, you know, Somalia sits, Ethiopia sits in some of them as well. Obviously, Somalia doesn't sit in, in them. But, but take this to international forums and kind of get some other statements and, and some other pressure that way. And, and so we've had a a League of Arab States summit. We've had the Organization of Islamic Council come out with a statement. We've had the African Union. We've had EGAD, of course. And, and you know, there was discussions even this week at, at the UN Security Council, though nothing specific has come out of it yet. I think EGAD's an interesting one. There, there was this summit about maybe two weeks ago in Kampala. Ethiopia did not attend. You know, they, they said they had some um, scheduling constraints and, and it was called quite quickly, but they've come back now and, and requested another summit. So, so you know, I think, I think the, the wider strategy is to keep this in the diplomatic realm. You know, if you go down escalation and tit for tat measures, yeah, I mean, there are things Somalia could do, of course. They could recall their ambassador. They could cut off Ethiopian airlines, airspace. They could cut off the cot trade, these sorts of things. But that escalation, you know, tends to keep escalating. And at some point, you know, the security cooperation would probably come in, come into, you know, in, in, into zone there. And, you know, that would be a risk for, for Somalia at this current point. You know, if, if you had a sudden withdrawal of Ethiopian troops, which are both part of the African Union mission and bilaterally, you'd have, you'd have a massive security vacuum, especially in, in, in places near the Ethiopian border. That's probably not in Ethiopia's interest as well. Mm. Now, one thing. We haven't seen and that we've heard uh, President Hassan Sheikh seems, you know, not very keen on at the moment has been a direct meeting between Abi and Hassan Sheikh. Why do you think that hasn't happened yet? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is Abe and um, Hassan Sheikh have actually been in the same uh, meetings or the same capitals at least a couple of times over the past month. And it, it seems like Abe's reached out to Hassan Sheikh. But, you know, Somalia's position has been to say, to Ethiopia, you know, first retract the agreement, second apologize, and then we'll we'll sit down and discuss, you know, whatever else, and including, you know, options on on Ethiopia's sea access and, and everything else. And I think Somalia has taken that that position because they they they're worried that they might get cornered into something. You know, they they are obviously the weaker partner in in this relationship and and whatnot, and so they feel more comfortable in a multilateral setting, such as you know maybe an EGAT meeting or whatnot. And, you know, Ethiopia, I think, you know, seemingly President or Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, I mean, this is sort of, he, he deals bilaterally quite, quite, quite often. And so I think that that tends to be his preferred approach there. 
Has Mogadishu been satisfied with what it's achieved on that multilateral front in terms of the the statements that have come out of, you know, all these various meetings, League of Arab States, EGAD, African Union? You know, how's, how's been the reaction to Mogadishu with, with what it's achieved so far? Well, they haven't gotten everything they want. But on, on the whole, you know, I, I think they, they think they are building up that sort of diplomatic cachet of, of pressure and, and support. And, and the fact that they're actually able to get a lot of these meetings, you know, attest to that as well. You know, at the UN Security Council, for example, there was, I, I think, a push by some to say, you know, this, you know, nothing's really been implemented yet. This isn't a threat to peace and security right now. Let's l- deal with this more at the regional level. Let's keep it there. There's dynamics in the works there. But they were able to then, you know, have a meeting go through just a couple of days ago. So, so I think they they are seeing progress on that front. You know, it's not always to exactly as, as much as they they'd want, but you know, some of these actually played in quite strongly. The League of Arab States, for example, you know, predictably, given Ethiopia is not a part of it, and there's other regional geopolitics, you know, between Egypt and Ethiopia, for example, and that that statement was was quite strong in in, in support of of Somalia. So, so I do think they are, they see some progress there, but but the point is also, of course, to to what end. You know, you, you know, for all of that to work, it, it would have to lead to you know, some sort of behavioral change and whatnot. And that's what they want to see and still remains to be uh, played out. And, and what do you see as the overall risks if there isn't some sort of resolution between Ethiopia and Mogadishu on this, if, you know, the MOU starts moving ahead? You mentioned, of course, the, the risk of Ethiopia pulling back its own forces from Somalia that are fighting al-Shabaab, which would seem like it's mutually destructive to both Ethiopia and Somalia, as you mentioned. Um, But yeah, how how do you assess the overall risks? Yeah, absent de-escalation, I think there are security risks and security ramifications for the Horn. And this might not be sort of direct engagement and direct conflict. You know, our concern is more about kind of the secondary, sort of the ancillary ramifications that that we see from this. And there's a couple of frames here that I think we could look at. You know, perhaps the most important is is what we've already briefly mentioned here is the Ethiopia-Somalia security cooperation against Al-Shabaab. This is quite, quite strong. You know, Somalia does rely on Ethiopia, Ethiopian troops, both part of ADMIS and and, and bilaterally. So if you had a rupture in in Mogadishu-Addis relations and also a corresponding, you know, withdrawal of Ethiopian forces, whether that was Somalia asking them to leave or Ethiopia pulling them out, there would clearly be a security vacuum. I think it's something no one wants, because not only would you likely have an emboldened al-Shabaab that moves into these areas, it's also an al-Shabaab that's quite upset with, with Ethiopia about this, this MOU too. So that doesn't seem to be in, in anyone's interest. And, and so the hope is, is we don't get that down that route. But clearly there would be that security vacuum. And so the prospect of a further, uh, you know, offensive action against Al-Shabaab probably, you know, uh, doesn't materialize. Um, so, so I think those are so there's some kind of issues on the Somalia side. You know, I think we should also look at at, at Somaliland and, and and some risks here for 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 conflict dynamics. I mean, one is I mentioned at the, at the top here in, in Al-Dal region. You know, there's always been this underlying sense of, of grievance against the majority Isak. If this deal goes through and if it's actually in Lukaya, I think you'd see some stronger resistance against that. There's this narrative there that the, the clans, the Gadabursi and the Isa there have been marginalized by the Isak and that this is actually a deal where the Isak are giving away their land to, to Ethiopians. And, 
you know, you already have a pattern here, or at least a, a sort of parallel with what happened in Seoul region with, with SSCK. There'd also be the risk of, you know, maybe an emboldened Somaliland wants to go back to, to Lassanod or try to military retake that area. I don't think they've ever fully accepted that they've been pushed out. And, and so if, if they feel emboldened as a result of this, does that sort of restart something that way or even vice versa? So I think you'd have to watch along those front lines too. Just the third one I would quickly mention, you know, those are kind of in, in the weeds on, on Somaliland and in Somalia. But I think we have to look at, at sort of the regional picture and, and sort of the prospect of if relations really get quite bad, do we get back to this sort of proxy war dynamics that, that we've seen in the Horn? Basically, you know, countries, you know, using vulnerabilities in other countries to undermine state coherence. And so if you look in Somaliland, if you look in Somalia, but also in Ethiopia, I mean, all of those countries are, are vulnerable at a subnational level. And, and so I think that could play out, you know, within the region, but then there's external actors that, that are clearly looking at the situation, that are clearly interested in, in capitalizing on it as well for their own interest. And, you know, anytime you have that combination, it almost sort of aggravates local conflict and, and pushes local actors to take more maximalist positions, which are much then harder to, to walk back after. Thanks. And, and just to add that, yes, we're, we're, we're quite concerned on the regional dynamics, especially in terms of what looks like further polarization, you know, what, what could start to emerge as competing blocks in the Horn of Africa, which is, which is a place the region has been at many times in the past. And when it has gone down that path, it hasn't ended well. At the moment, it looks like, you know, largely countries that already are on the sea, um, on both sides of the Red Sea, really rallying around Somalia and trying to isolate Ethiopia. And in many ways, try to push back against Emirati influence in the Horn as well as it is perceived. Just on that note, on the UAE, of course, there's been a lot of speculation because the UAE is very close to Abi. There's been a lot of perception in the region that this this MOU could be a, a victory for the UAE, although. There's also a lot of doubt in diplomatic circles that the UAE had anything directly to do uh, with the MOU. But of course, the UAE is also close with Hargeisa. The UAE has been very close with Hassan Sheikh in Mogadishu, and Mogadishu is is quite reliant on the UAE at the moment on a number of security files. So I'm just wondering, how do you assess this, this UAE angle? How reliant is Hassan Sheikh's administration at the moment on the Emiratis? And what's really the prospect of, of that severing? Yeah, I mean, the UAE plays obviously a very interesting role in this one, given its ties and its activities in, in all three of these areas. But, but I think it is clear to point out, I mean, the UAE role within this MOU is, is not very clear, you know, whether, whether there is even a role for it. And depending on how some of these details play out, I mean, that, that could even be a, a risk for the, for the UAE, you know, if Ethiopia is actually looking to develop its own sort of separate port access and, and whatnot instead of Berbera, you know, the UAE has made a massive investment in, into Berbera and, and the corridor connected to, to Ethiopia. So I think some of that still, remains, you know, to be played out in, in, in the details, but just, you know, shows that this could cut kind of either way for for them. Um, yes, I mean, since Hassan Sheikh came back into power in, in May 2022, the UAE's essentially been back in, in Somalia, you know, relations ruptured under under the previous administration. And Hassan Sheikh's looked at them actually for security cooperation in particular. So the UAE's been funding a lot of this massive force generation that's ongoing amongst the Somali armed forces to get them ready to take over for the African Union mission. And, and so the UAE has been, been instrumental in, in that realm. 
But of course, I do think there's some unease in, in Mogadishu about this. And even before the MOU, there was probably, you know, a level of unease in, in Mogadishu about just being so dependent on one external actor on, on these security uh, partnerships and these security trainings. I think there was already an attempt to, to diversify a little bit and, and see if there's others that can also come in and, and have similar programs and, and whatnot. I mean, regardless of how good your relations are with one country, I mean, it's, it's always a dependency factor. And, you know, Somalia has seen how quickly relations can change here in, in this region and almost kind of on a dime sometimes. So I think there was already that that interest to diversify, it's probably increased a bit as, as a result of this uh, MOU. And, and, you know, we've seen the Somali president traveling to a number of other countries in the Gulf and, and talking about uh, security dynamics, I'm sure, as, as part, of those, part of those meetings as well. But, you know, I don't think this is anywhere near the point of rupture that we saw, you know, around 2018 when, when the Mogadishu-Abu Dhabi relationship basically uh, cratered and, and collapsed. You know, actually to, to the opposite, there was just a, a hospital in Mogadishu that as a result of that fracture of relations in 2018, the, the UAE completely pulled out of. And, you know, they just the, the, a couple of weeks ago, you know, after the MOU was announced, basically restarted operations there. So so I think that's a sign that, you know, there is this interest to keep this relationship going. But of course, there I think there is some underlying unease still at the same time. So, so looking forward, I think there's, you know, there's obviously a number of questions. How do Somalilanders view uh, the next steps on this? I imagine they're a bit anxious because, of course, there's the chance this moves ahead and that that'll be a win for them, I suppose. But, you know, what will involve a lot of international action for sure. And there's also the chance that it, it falls through. So, so how do they view the next steps? Yeah, I think for Somaliland, they, they want to push forward with implementation for them, that, that means the recognition question and sort of foregrounding that. And then, you know, you kind of see the other developments on the ground in terms of, you know, starting whatever sort of preparations for the security um, base and whatnot. But yes, I, I think they're, they're pushing on that because of some of the reasons that you mentioned. I mean, there, there is strong international pressure uh, against this. So they're concerned about the deal kind of getting walked back. There's also a history of grand pronouncements in the horn, which never really come to come to fruition. And, and so, you know, for them, I think this was it was a chance for almost sort of a watershed moment, you know, and, and sort of a, a continuation of a, almost a Berbera 2.0. You know, that that was a huge deal when they made that with with the UAE. And that that almost kind of signaled, oh, international actors can do business with Somaliland. And so I think they view this in a similar sense. You know, if they can push the barrier again on this then, you know, that that kind of breaks open, you know, new ground. Of course, you know, the challenge to all of this is, is, you know, the norm within the international community has been, yes, we can deal with Somaliland, but up to a certain point, you know, there are red lines. And of course, one of them is, is recognition, because everyone defaults to the position that Mogadishu and Hargeisa have to settle the differences and whatever they, they agree on, then we will support the outcome. You know, Somaliland's argument is we've been waiting 30 years for this and, you know, we've gone to a bunch of meetings with Mogadishu and nothing's really come out of them. And, and you know, sometimes they haven't abided by even what they agreed to. And, and I think there's a valid point here. And, and so something this, this deal brings up is, is, you know, the question of what is Somaliland's status going forward in the region, regardless of how this, this plays out, regardless of how this is implemented, you know, I think it, it brings up that question with a little more, you know, urgency or a little bit more pressure around it. 
you know, this is something that's been festering for, for 30 years, over 30 years, over three decades in, in, in the horn without really coming to a clear resolution. And, you know, maybe that kind of spurs a bit more regional attention on this uh, whenever all of this uh, dies down. But but yes, I think uh, before that, Somaliland's pushing as much as it can to kind of see implementation through to avoid anything getting getting walked back. Perhaps this is a silly question, uh, but in some ways, this this recognition issue has become, you know, almost mystified in in a sense for Somalilanders, I feel like. Is, is there a world in which, you know, Ethiopia does extend some sort of formal recognition to Somaliland and essentially nothing else happens, no other country steps forward, and it in some ways almost proves the point that no matter what, there isn't going to be some broader recognition that comes? Do you think there's a world where recognition happens, but... Uh, it's so limited just from Ethiopia that it might not be the watershed that Somalilanders are hoping for. I mean, a- absolutely, that could be an issue. And, and we've seen even in other cases where, you know, uh, a country or a handful of countries recognize, you know, one one entity, you know, there's plenty of examples of this globally. And, you know, practically not much changes because there's almost sort of a tipping point that has to happen when you get enough countries to recognize you within the international system that you were started to to be taken seriously as sort of a, a new entity within this system. And, you know, I think a one country or a handful of countries isn't going to do it. On Somaliland side, what they would say is they need to push through and just get the first. And even if nothing, you know, so much practically changes that that opens the door for for the future. But but I do think yes. I mean there there is there is a world where where that could happen, and this has actually been a narrative that some in Somaliland sort of opposed to this deal, or at least questioning the deal, have sort of picked up to say, you know, what is Ethiopian recognition gonna gonna do for us? You know, are there other countries to follow? You know, is this really gonna shift the international system? And and in some ways, I think Mogadishu's lobbying within the international community actually shows kind of how far. Somaliland, you know, has to go down this route because essentially the entire rest of the system has come down in favor of of Mogadishu. So on on the Somalia side, you know, as you outlined, there's been this flurry of diplomatic activity in the multilateral forums, but also, you know, very much on a bilateral basis, uh, Hassan Sheikh flying around to to various capitals, trying to gin up support and isolate Ethiopia within the region. Um, wh- where do you think Somalia heads from here? Um, in some ways, it seems like it's now hit up most of these obvious forums. And so what do you think is the strategy moving ahead? Like you said, all these statements that come out of these forums, they serve some purpose, but you know their actual effect in deterring Ethiopia is another question. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, Somalia will continue to push because they haven't gotten everything they want out, out of the forums. So they'll probably continue to push at the UN Security Council. You know, I think they want some sort of product out of there, which reaffirms their, their position. And then, you know, within the region, you know, this idea of, of a second EGAD summit, you know, maybe that actually can be the forum that, that Somalia has been pushing for because they were pushing for something multilateral. And, and Ethiopia has now said, you know, they want to... to to come and kind of explain their position on on things within the region. So I think Somalia will sort of continue that that lobbying front. The question is, you know, where is there a tipping point or sort of a trigger where this gets beyond the diplomatic realm? And, you know, I think that lies probably in, in you know, implementation of, of dynamics. So, so if Ethiopia was to recognize Somaliland, then, then I think you know, the relationship between Somalia and, and, and Ethiopia would obviously completely collapse. And then we'd have kind of those ancillary security dynamics we were talking about earlier. 
Also, if Ethiopia was to move security personnel into Somaliland, that'd probably be another sort of red line. So I think, you know, Somalia's interest is still to keep this in the diplomatic realm, still see, you know, I I think, you know, if Ethiopia is actually interested in the EGAD summit now, maybe some of their lobbying is is bearing fruit. But but at its core, you know, it it does seem like this deal brings up unresolved issues in the the horn. So we can de-escalate and walk this back. But those longstanding issues will need to be addressed. And so it's not just, you know, the status of Somaliland, but it's also, you know, Ethiopia's desire for, for sea access. And, and, you know, I think these are questions the region can address and, and should be able to do address. But of course, you know, de-escalation is probably needed first, so we don't get into very strongly adversarial relations. And then at least keeping those issues on, on you know, the agenda and with very significant political capital going forward. It's not just about de-escalating this, walking it back, and then going back to normal and forgetting about everything else. You know, these issues should be on the agenda and do need to be resolved. Mm. And as, as we discussed in the last podcast episode we did, you know, even if this deal between Ethiopia and Somaliland with this MOU does fall through, uh, it still leaves open this question of Ethiopia's quest for sea access, which, you know, has no obvious obvious, easy answer. So, you know, it could shift tensions from one place to another, but it remains an outstanding question. So so, so that kind of begs uh, my final question, which is, you know, a bit of a, a what if. If this does fall through, is there a world in which Ethiopia could pitch its quest for sea access, you think, in a way that could be more win-win, could be more regional integration, you know, leaving aside the Eritrea or Djibouti angles, if we're just zeroing in on Somaliland, do you think there is any sort of pitch that Mogadishu would would listen to that would maybe satisfy much of Ethiopia's demands? I imagine that the, the naval bit will be a very hard one. Um, but, you know, the last time Ethiopia made a major regional push like this was with the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, GERD, and that one did involve a pitch for regional integration for broad uh, regional economic development. As a result, it did isolate Egypt, of course, but Ethiopia did make a bigger pitch to try to bring on other regional allies. I'm just wondering if you see a world in which this falls through where maybe there could be some win-win that's put on the table. Well, I think there's absolutely the prospect of of a win-win arrangement, and that would be something in the the commercial realm, because, you know, Somalia said that, that that they have no problem with sort of commercial engagement, that it makes sense. Ethiopia's desire for sea access, it seems to be both security and and commercial. Um, The security aspect is not fully clear. I mean, if if it is commercial, because the arguments have been around you know, the blockages in their economy and, and sort of diversifying in that front. I mean, I think there's absolutely something to be discussed there. And then, you know, for Somaliland, I mean, they have the Berber report already and, and you know, it could use more more traffic. You know, I, I visited that about a year ago and, and, you know, it wasn't that busy, as busy as you would have thought, given the the massive investments, of course, you know, post-COVID and all of these other dynamics. But of course, that could be a win for Somaliland as well. You know, part of the issue is, is you know, this deal comes with, with some very sticky and tricky positions. And so one is, you know, Ethiopian security access to the region and, and of course, Somaliland's insistence on, on independence or recognition of their independence. But, you know, if you could walk those back, then I think you could absolutely have a win-win 
situation, probably with a commitment then to to addressing you know those long-standing issues that that I mentioned that are also infused here. But on 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 the Somali side, commercial access for for Ethiopia makes sense, and and I think they're ready to discuss that on the on the Ethiopian side. That seems to be one of their preoccupations, and on on Somaliland, I mean that that can still benefit them as as well. You know, also with a commitment maybe to discuss their their status. So so I think there are these these potentials, but the question is, you know, can you can you deescalate and then kind of get to that kind of shift the conversation maybe in in those directions. And all of this at a time we're seeing more geopolitical tension over the the broader Red Sea uh, area than than ever before, I suppose. Um, So, uh, Omar, thanks so much for coming on and unpacking all this uh, for us and uh, look forward to, to having you on next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Alan. Thanks for listening. The Horn is a production of the International Crisis Group. Once again, I'm Alan Boswell, and our producers are Mae Francis and Ida Holly Nambi. 